Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm reading chapters 17 and 18 from my novel Wayward. And just a reminder, if you want to read along, read ahead, you can get this book for 99p as an ebook from Amazon. And there's links to that in the description, as well as links to my other book, which is a detective novel centering on Wiccan and witch themed crime, um, which is called Dead to Rights. And that's also available from Amazon for 99p. Some content warnings for this episode. Um, there is some discussion of a story from Cray's past, which brings up some ideas about addiction and um, maybe some sort of upsetting uh, things to do with death uh, and neglect. So uh, go into that forewarned and thus forearmed. Also, I have a go at trying to read a sexy makeout scene, uh, which is very awkward for me, and I hope it's not as awkward to listen to as it felt to read it out aloud. So you have all that to look forward to. I'm going to quickly remind you what happened in the last episode and then get into chapter 17. So last time we saw a little bit more of Michaela worrying about what she had gotten herself into with the coven that she's joined. There are some mysteries racking up. What's going on with the mysterious coven in Bristol? What's the mysterious ritual that no one really seems to know what it's for? And what are the meanings behind the mysterious visions that she's been given by Keridwen? Also, she went up to meet up with one of her friends from her old life, Chloe. And uh, Chloe was a very unpleasant person and sadly based on people that I went to school with. So um, they've had a little bit of a fight and now Michaela has gone back to her coven friends but worried about what her old friends and people in her old life would think of her now, uh, where she is and what she's doing. Chapter 17. I take my phone out of my bag and shove it into a bin as I elbow my way past a group of tourists. All I want is to get to the bus station and get back to Wayward. I've been so stupid. Hadn't I always known that Chloe and Tash weren't interested in me? Not really. They liked having someone to show off to, someone in awe of their expensive, cool things and their access to drugs and booze. They never cared about me one way or the other. If it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't have been kicked out in the first place. They were the ones who'd steered me towards weed and who'd made out I was dull and stupidly shy without it. Tears sting my eyes. I want to go home, home to Wayward and Cray, where I can be myself. There are so many students around, I feel like a stupid kid fighting against a flow of 18-year-olds. The cool Japanese students with their preppy clothes and super dry jackets. Best friends walking with linked arms, brightly coloured and grown up. Mum and Dad pop into my head. Was Chloe right? Were people really looking for me? I suppose I should have known that my parents would tell everyone that I ran away. It would look really bad, for Dad especially, if anyone found out the truth. As I hurried to the bus station, determined to outrun the sore part in my chest where my faith in my friends had been, I think for a second about just running through town. I could be home, at my real home, in under an hour. It's closer than the campus, closer than Cray. In town, surrounded by electric lights and the normal bustle of the high street, the Christmas lights already strung above me and the smell of coffee and exhaust, wayward seems like a dream. My steps falter. For a moment I stop in the street and consider taking the right-hand turn towards home, rather than carrying on towards the big orange bus and wayward. It's only the thought that I can't take my mum slamming the door in my face that drives me to get to the bus to campus. Weirdest things are getting at wayward. At least I know Cray won't lock me out. The bus isn't empty, but I huddle at the very back and cast the strongest invisibility glamour I can, blocking out sound and sight so that when I start to sob, no one hears me or even looks my way. As I'm walking through the village, scrubbing tears away and miserably noticing the Christmas decorations that have already gone up in the windows of the cottages, Cray comes walking down the street to meet me. He's wearing a grey t-shirt with Drink Tea and Worship Satan printed on it, and I've never been so happy to see him. Without realising that I was about to, I walk right up to him and put my arms around him, my face against his chest. 
He hugs me back, pressing a kiss to the top of my head. You weren't around this morning. Thought I'd check the library. I went into town, I say into his shirt. Do you want to walk for a bit? He asks, and I nod, not wanting to face the others with my red eyes and snuffly nose. He puts his arm around me and we start to walk back towards the road, under the bare trees and over the wet leaves on the ground. He opens the gate for me and takes me down to our spot by the lake, the hidden jetty where the branches hang low and the water is dark, churned by flapping ducks and the paths of the swans. I sit on the boards with my legs crossed and my shawl pulled tightly around my shoulders. Cray sits next to me, legs dangling over the edge of the jetty, feet almost in the water. What happened in town? He asks after a while. I checked my text this morning. There was a new one today. It was Chloe from school. She asked to meet me because I'd missed so many calls and texts, so I went to the cafe in town where she was going to be. My eyes blur and I know my face is scrunching up all blubbery and unattractive. She was so horrible, I hiccup. He puts his arm around me and I cuddle into his armpit, choking out sobs. It's so humiliating and yet I can't stop. Cray strokes my hair slowly while I cry my eyes dry. At last I let my heavy eyelids fall and bury my face in his shirt. Whatever she said, Cray says quietly, it wasn't true. People like that, people who pretend to be your friend when it suits them, but don't really care. They don't tell the truth. They just lie all the time and convince themselves they're being honest. But you're special. I'm not, I say. I'm not just because I know a few spells now. Not the spells, you. Not everyone can cope the way you have. Not without becoming hard and sharp. Not everyone can believe the way you do. In magic, in... He lets out a breath. When I ran away, I saw horrible things. I lived in wet, cold places. I never had enough to eat. There were violent, unpredictable people, weird people, and it was scary. I had a very sheltered life before I ran away, and it was hard. After going through all that, I didn't think I could believe in anything. Magic or love. I believe in our power, and I believe in you. I love you. I look up at him, my heart motionless in my chest. Worst timing ever, I know, he says awkwardly, his cheeks flaming. I love you, I say. The words are a fish hook in my heart, the line attached to him. It's painful, but it's a connection. It feels good somehow, wonderful even. I never imagined I could feel something so strong. Cray's face lights up, the nervousness melting from his expression. You do? Yeah, I say, I do. He kisses my wet cheek, then my lips, his mouth gentle and chilled by the wintry air. Kissing him is like hiding away in my warm bed, safe and comfortable, but it sends a thrill up my spine like smoking for the first time, or lifting a bottle of rum from the off-licence. For a while I let myself get caught up in him, feeling the fish hook tugging at my tender heart with each touch of his hand on my face, his lips against mine. I just wish I could see them, I say after a while, when we've been lying on the boards, his hand in mine. Your parents? Hmm. Unhappiness wriggles in me, rotten and full of maggots. I keep thinking, if they saw me, it's been a while, maybe they've forgiven me. Cray is quiet, and I tip my head up to look at him. What? I went back, to my parents, he says. I lift myself up on my elbow. When? A few months after I ran away. I said I saw things. One of them was a friend. At least he was my age and we slept in some of the same places some nights. He said his name was Rally. He was an addict. Every night I saw him, he was sniffing spray glue or anything else he could get his hands on. He'd spray it all out into a bag and huff it till he passed out. It bothered me, but I wanted him around because he knew what was why. He knew where we could get the best thrown out food, where it was the safest place to sleep, and I didn't know any of that. But it was winter, and Cray shrugs and I squeeze his hand. He passed out one night, and when I woke up in the morning, he was practically frozen solid. His fingers were all black, and his eyes were open, all frosted over. Oh my god. I took my stuff and I went all the way home. All I wanted was to get into their house and hug my mum and take a hot bath. 
I wanted to forget seeing Rally like that, but when I got to the house, they weren't there. He swallows thickly. They were on holiday. Cray. They uh, they went on holiday. The the holiday they booked for just before they were dropping me off at boarding school. A last family holiday and they went without me. I've been missing for two months. That was all. It was a lifetime for me not being able to sleep without someone stumbling over me or a policeman shining a torch in my face. Not having enough to eat. My feet always wet, always cold. I hadn't washed properly in eight whole weeks. They had everything and they left anyway. A bird screeches out on the lake. The grey day is dawning in and everything's fuzzy with shadow. Pinprick lights show across the water, the stars fading in against the blue ink sky. I touch Cray's face and in the half-light under the trees he looks grey, feels as cold as stone. His face is wet. I haven't told any of the others, he says. After I saw they were gone, I, I came back to the city, moved around Bristol for a while. Then I met Ilex and he brought me here. If he hadn't... Being on my own like that was the worst thing I've ever gone through. All I saw when I closed my eyes was Rally. I should have... You couldn't have helped him, I say quietly. Trust me. My dad kept on at me about the drugs, but I didn't listen. You can't make someone listen to you. I could now, he says, sitting up. I could look at him and tell him not to do it anymore, and he wouldn't. Just like that, I could... If he'd had another few months, he would have ended up here, he would have been safe. If only I'd... You were a kid, I say, and your parents were bastards. They didn't deserve you. If they couldn't see everything you were before you got your power, they don't deserve to know you. I didn't say any of that to keep you from seeing them. I know. I just wanted to tell you. I'm glad you did. Tomorrow we can go see them, or if you want to go on your own, that's okay. We, we can go to the bus stop now. It can wait, I say, moving closer and using the tail end of my scarf to wipe his cheek. Let's go home. We pick our way around the lake in the growing dark. The path home is almost invisible and we stumble along, almost blind with no street lamps to guide us. Cray's hand never leaves mine and it's just like the first time we came to Wayward. Only now I'm leading him, I'm showing him the way. There's a fire in the garden. I see it from the kitchen window as Cray and I hang up our things. Chronicle and Campion are stretched out on a blanket, playing with one of the old board games. Ilex is flicking sticks into the flames. Nara huddles in a garden chair with a book on her knees. I'm not really up for seeing them, Cray says, already looking towards the stairs. I might just... Do you want me to come up, I say, feeling my face go nuclear only seconds later. I, I mean, just to talk a bit, not... I didn't think you meant anything by it, he says, but if you don't mind, it would be nice. Okay. By some unspoken agreement, we head along the landing to the bathroom, where Cray takes out his lighter and starts picking pinpricks of light out of nowhere. The candles from my potion session quickly become a small forest of lights, most still cold and dead, but a few on the sill and in the sink shining in the dark. From the girls' room, I bring my mattress and Cray brings his. We make up a bed on the bathroom floor, over our painted circle. Our sleeping bags and cushions, blankets, pulled haphazardly. Cray doesn't bother changing or even glamouring his clothes into pyjamas. He looks exhausted. There's an awkward moment as I get into the bed next to him, my heart going like a heavy bass line in my chest. But he puts his arm around me and I snuggle close. The bathroom smells like herbs and dust and candle smoke. Do you know how easy it would have been for us to miss each other? Cray says after a while. If I hadn't left home, if Rally... I never would have found my way here, and there are so many ways it could have gone. It makes me scared to even think it. Well, I'm here, I say. I'm not going anywhere, I promise. Chapter 18. I don't go and see my parents. Not the next day or the day after. The bathroom becomes our room, officially. Aside from our bed, we move in our clothes and the few bits and pieces I brought from home. Cray's deck of cards go on a little shelf over the sink, along with my pink jewellery box where I keep my magical tools now. 
At night we sit on the mats and talk, or he lies with his head in my lap and tells me about tarot, about the art of cartomancy, telling the future with cards. Chronicle and Campion have started sleeping together, and they don't bother hiding it, so it's actually a good thing that I moved out of the girls' room. Nara ends up on the sofa in the living room more often than not, and Ilex is snappy and jealous. Because Chronicle and Campion are distracted, either spending time alone in the bedroom upstairs, or going into town to sneak into clubs and dance, my magical education falls mostly to Cray. While Cartomancy escapes me, he does manage to show me how to do other things. He shows me how to make a fetch, a physical object that contains a spirit that will go out and do a witch's bidding. Be careful with a fetch, he warns me, showing me a picture he's drawn in his journal of a rabbit with sharp black ears and eyes that shine with silver ink. They don't have a conscience, they don't feel emotion, they will just get whatever it is you want. They can easily hurt someone. You should always unmake them after they've brought you whatever it is you wanted. Or else, they can run riot go off and develop a mind of their own. We gather things to make my first fetch. Feathers from around the river, a reel of silver wire from the art studio, and green glass beads from outside the student union where someone clearly broke their necklace. You have to make it yourself, Chris says, ushering me into the bathroom where he's cleared our things away. It's only yours and you can't tell me or anyone else what it is or what it's doing. You showed me yours. I already unmade mine, it doesn't exist anymore. I still think he's being overdramatic, but I shut the door on him and sit down in the circle on the floor. It's the first time I've done a spell by myself, and part of me thinks it won't work. I also feel completely stupid as I click my lighter and light the candle. My magical tools are spread in front of me, water in a metal cup, incense burning to represent air, my wand is earth, and fire is the candle. My penknife Athme is standing in for the god, and I've being like a dick, I suppose, and the goddess is a stone with a hole in it from the lake. I cast my circle and let the church-like stillness slow my heart's nervous beating. The body of my fetch is an old sock, with herbs and paper stuffed inside. Not exactly the most magical thing. The herbs I chose using Cray's journal, herbs for wisdom and knowledge. I take the feathers and press them around the body into a kind of skirt, tying them with a bit of string. Wax poured from the candle gives me a smooth face to press the beads into, and I scratch a mouth with my fingernail. Goddess and God, I say, my voice sounding weirdly loud in the stillness. Elements five, air, water, fire, earth and spirit, hear my call. Grant me the power this night to create this creature. I can feel the energy coming to me, crackling over my body and rushing like water into the circle. Raising energy is what Cray calls it, like raising money, asking for it from multiple sources. I give it life and purpose, I say, thinking of the words I've written on the paper inside the fetch. Bring me knowledge and power. Cray probably thinks I'm asking for something to do with my parents and... Yeah, when he first told me about fetches, that was the idea. I would make a fetch that would go out and bring my parents' forgiveness to me. But since meeting Chloe and hearing her go off at me, I've become a little bit scared of seeing my parents again. What if they shout at me like she did, or make all kinds of assumptions about what I've been doing? So for now, I only want to learn more about the craft, get better at it, and have enough power to keep me safe and provided for. I don't want to keep relying on Craig and everyone else to keep me safe. Sure, I can steal most things and glamour the rest, but that's not all there is to it. Maybe if I get enough know-how, I can move out of the coven house with Cray, live like a real person again. I close the circle after pushing all the power I've raised into my fetch. Just before I snuff out the candle, I could swear I see a bird, the size of a crow, black and grey with beady green eyes. It flickers away just a moment after I spot it, but I feel a leap of excitement. My fetch. The physical body of the fetch goes into my jewellery box, and I open the door to let Cray in and smoke out. He watches me put my things away. You're getting this really fast. We'll have you flying before too long. Ha ha, I say, knowing enough to get that he's kidding. Well, not flying across the moon on a broomstick, but 
Astral projection is a possibility, he says. All these tricks and you still can't get the electric on. The candles add drama. Right. Besides, to get the wiring fixed, we'd have to have someone from the company out to fix it. Too dangerous. Someone would notice we've been living here. And even if they didn't, the owner of this place would notice someone in a high-vis jacket drilling in the walls. It's hard. Glamouring another person. I sighed. So no heating. Sorry. He puts his arm around my shoulders and squeezes. Please don't say anything about being here to warm me up, I say. I was going to say, Ilex stole a bottle of whiskey from the housing blocks. It's downstairs. Best thing I've heard all day, I say, and push him gently towards the stairs. Downstairs, Nora and Ilex are sitting in the living room. Nora wrapped in blankets on the armchair and Ilex lying on the sofa, the whiskey bottle cuddled in his crooked elbow. Share, Cray says, holding his hand out. Alex hands the bottle over with a put-upon sigh. I take a seat next to Cray and lean against his side. Ugh, Ilex rolls his eyes. Can you two not? I stick my tongue out and take the bottle from Cray, who laughs. Be nice to them, Ilex, Nora says, flipping a page in her book. Oh, shut up. Nora glances up and the sofa slides back a few inches, bumping into the wall. No casting on other coven members, Ilex snaps, leaping off the sofa and snatching the bottle from my hands. I cast on the sofa, not you, Nora says innocently. Ilex glares at her. Not funny. It is kind of funny, Cray says. Ilex turns on him with a look that could melt glass and takes a long drink from the bottle. The room is very tense and trying to get everyone to calm down, I summon up a little energy. Colour it blue, the colour of summer skies and perfect seats, floating around us like smoke. Ilex glances at me, eyes wandering to the air around me and snorts. Nice trick. A blush. Is it working? No, you're both still sickening together, but thankfully this, he raises the bottle, is working. So, no, I don't care. Next time we get a new recruit, you get first shot at him, Cry promises. I dig him in the ribs with my elbow and he grins cheekily, landing a kiss on my cheek. Ilex groans and returns to the sofa. So, Campion and Chronicle out again? Cray asks. Gone to town, I think. Drinking, dancing, slipping wallets away from drunk townies, the usual. Ilex offers the bottle back and Cray takes it. Just us four tonight. What about Sophia? I ask. Upstairs, Nora says. But she's always up there. What does she do all day, I say? She travels, Alex says. Astral projection. Her body stays here, but her mind goes everywhere. Like, all over town? Alex snorts. All over the world, newbie. All over all worlds. There are planes that are much more interesting than this one, and they're all open to you, if you have the will and the determination to find them. What Alex means is, he's never seen them, but he's read about them in Sophia's grimoire, Cray says. I've never looked in the grimoire, and you know it, Alex says. I'd never betray the coven like that. Oh, calm down, Crane sighs. Anyway, none of us has ever been past the threshold, so we can all just back off, Nara says. Threshold? I turn to Crane, looking for an explanation. There's a threshold between this world and the astral. That's the one we've all crossed, and we can leave ourselves and move around, but not too far. It's not something we really practice. Doesn't really help with half the stuff we need to do, Alex puts in. You can't interact with solid things. That means you can't pocket anything to bring it back with you. But there are other thresholds between the astral plane and other worlds. Domains of shadow and spirit, where you can learn all kinds of things and speak with gods and goddesses. I think of Keridwen and her cauldron. I'd spoken to her then. Had I left the normal world and gone to one of these other planes? Cray catches my eyes. There are potions that alter your consciousness. They help you see into different realms without leaving this one, but you have no control over where you go or what you see. 
but Sophia can cross the thresholds. She's the only one bothered with it, Alex says, nabbing the bottle from Cray. It takes a lot of practice, and like I said, it's not really useful, unless you're into meeting all kinds of freaky things. It's also dangerous, Nara says, so don't go trying to cross a threshold without proper protection. You need a strong circle and protective incense and wards and, well, you've got to remember to close off all those thresholds behind you when you come back. A shiver goes through my heart. Why? Because sometimes the things you find, they don't always want to let you go. Ilex takes a deep drink and sits the bottle on the floor, leaning back on the sofa to watch me, his eyes glinting in the candlelight. One hand toys with the green stone pendant around his neck. And some will follow you back, given half a chance. Nara, clearly bored of Ilex's attempts to scare me, gets out of her chair and goes to get the dynamo radio. After cranking up, she sits on the floor, tunes it to a music station and starts nodding her head to the beat of a pop song as she lights fresh candles. Ilex's eyelids flutter closed and he heaves a sigh face going slack with sleepiness. I catch Cray looking at him sadly before he turns away. It must be hard for him, seeing Ilex lash out in his unhappiness. Even I can see that Ilex is lonely, and this part of me that suspects he has a bit of a thing for Cray. Cray takes a pack of cards from his pocket, shuffles it for a few moments and then offers it to me. I pick a card and flip it over between my fingers, the two of hearts. Even a clueless Luby like me can see what that means. Cray leans over and pecks me on the cheek, moving to my mouth as Nara begins to sing softly to herself, taking paints and pencils from a box in the corner. We need more colour in here, she says, when Cray and I pull apart. She's considering the blank, cracked plaster and nibbling her lip. I'm going to stay up and get started on something. Maybe we should go upstairs, Cray says softly against my ear. My stomach is all knots and fluttery with nerves. He kisses my neck, his arms circling my back and guiding me to my feet. There's a twinge of guilt in my belly as we leave Ilex to sleep in the freezing living room, whiskey deadening him to the world. But Crane wants me, and I can't change that. I wouldn't even if I could. Upstairs, we close the door to the rest of the house, spread our bedding again, and lie down. We've kissed before, but this is different. It's more searching, his hands running over my body, slipping under my shirt. I kiss his jaw and slide my hands down his back, feeling the dampness in the dip of his spine. Crane kisses my neck, which does funny things to my stomach, and makes my toes scrunch up. He hisses when I squeeze his bum, sighs against my mouth when I let him lie between my legs. Eventually, he leans up on his hands and looks down at me. Hey. Hey, I say, my throat thick. He swallows and huffs a reluctant sigh, moving over to lie next to me. My skin is tingling all over, my face hot. I clench my legs together and pull my top back down. I don't want to do this here, especially not with Ilex and Nara downstairs, he says. We were going to do it, I say. Well, it seems like that was a distinct possibility. My heart is skipping. What's the dream scenario, then? You don't have one, he asks. I cross my arms over my stomach. I don't think so. Not a real one. What's a real one? You know, with a real person. Not like a celebrity or something. Cray laughs and I feel my cheeks go redder. You know what I mean. That's just a fantasy for Friday afternoons in maths. I haven't thought about what it would be really like. Only not like Tasha's, because she did it in her parents' room, which is just ew. And Chloe did Sean in his best friend's room at a party. She got someone else's condom stuck to her ass. Cray snorted. Not the magical moment I'm hoping for. I pull my sleeping bag over us and turn onto my side to look at him. What was yours like? I told you, with the others, remember? But you must have liked her. Not really. I mean, the guys I was friends with had all done it, or said they had. They started calling me names, saying I was gay, which I don't think is a bad thing. It was just the meanness that got to me. Anyway, I was seeing her and she let me sleep with her, so I suppose she was feeling the pressure too. I didn't really mind when she broke up with me though. 
What do you wish it had been like, I ask, cuddling close under the sleeping bag? Just that I'd been more ready? That I'd liked her more? I mean, I don't really know her. He puts his arm around me and squeezes. I love you. I love you too. I've got this sort of surprise planned, he says. I want to do something nice, just us, away from here. But if afterwards you don't want to, I mean, it's a big step. We don't have to. Okay, I say. But I think I want to. Really? Grace's smile is sweet in the dark. I kind of do now. His cold fingers tickle me suddenly and I squirm, squawking a laugh. So that was chapter 17 and 18 of Wayward. And I hope you're getting some sense of the broader mystery at work here and are interested in chapters 19 and 20, which hopefully will be coming soon. Again, don't forget that you can purchase the book and read along, read ahead for yourself. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye.